This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Michigan Senator-elect Mallory McMorrow. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning your election. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So could you tell us a little bit about the campaign process for you? What inspired you to jump into the race and what was your experience running? So there was really one moment that pushed me to run and... It was shortly after the election in 2016, and uh, I live in Royal Oak, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. And uh, just a few days after the election, there was a video that went viral, actually all around the country, of middle school students chanting, build that wall at another student. And I had friends and family from all over coast to coast sending me this video and asking if I had heard about it. Um, And it actually took place at Royal Oak Middle School, which was my polling place in the election just a few days before. So it really was just a kick to the stomach to realize that even the most national uh, politics are are very, very local and it's affecting our kids. Um, So I think that just really inspired me uh, to step up and get involved because we, we need new leadership at every level. What exactly was the leadership like in your state prior to the 2018 elections? Why was it not good enough? So Michigan is an incredibly gerrymandered state. Uh, so even though we, we've been a swing state, and, and as we saw in 2016, we are a state that uh, went red and voted for Donald Trump. But on the state level, you know, as I got to know everybody who represents me at every level of politics, I didn't see anything any better. Um, I'm actually not from Michigan originally. I have had a career that's taken me all around the country, but I started my career as a car designer. So as somebody who is an industrial designer professionally, I always looked at Michigan with such reverence because this is where we created the automotive industry. This is where we built the middle class. This is where mid-century modern design uh, came from and, and really expanded throughout the rest of the country. So I look at Michigan as a place that has the ability to change the world. And when you looked at what was coming out of Lansing, our capital, the, the, it was very reactionary. You know, it's, it's not people who value what this state has to offer. It's not people who value our Great Lakes and our history of innovation and the people who work here. It was all about, you know, tax cuts and, um, trying to find, create a business friendly climate via tax cuts. And we've seen, uh, you know, year after year, the negative effects that that's had. And what were the results? Obviously, you won your election. What were the other major results of the 2018 midterms in your state? And what do they mean for the future progressive policy? Michigan sent a really strong message uh, in in the wake of the 2016 election in 2018, probably stronger than any other state that we are ready for change. Uh, We elected female Democrats over the entire top of the ticket. We have uh, Governor-elect Gretchen Whitmer, uh, Dana Nessel as Attorney General, who's an openly uh, gay woman as our Attorney General, Jocelyn Benson as Secretary of State. And then as you worked your way down the ballot, and I was running in a district where you had the ability to vote a straight woman ticket from the top of the ticket all the way down to county commission. Um, And I think a lot of the, the more progressive ideas resonated with people. I think more than anything else, people want to know 
that the people who are elected to to work for them are doing just that, that they're available, that they're accessible, and that they're putting people first. So, you know, they're not hugely radical concepts, but it's just been so sorely missing from the dialogue here in the state that I think a lot of the the younger, more progressive candidates were able to make a huge dent and send a, a big message. And what progressive policies exactly were you running on? So a lot of the policies that we were running on, and and again, you know, this shouldn't be so radical, but, you know, I look at Michigan and I'm looking at Southeast Michigan and how can we create um, a state and a region that is going to attract younger people to want to move here and stay here like I did. So that is making sure that our state is welcoming, that it's not discriminatory. We currently have uh, the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act, which does not guarantee uh, anti-discrimination protections for the LGBTQ community. And that's something that's come up time and time again. And our state has spent millions of dollars in, in taxpayer money fighting against LGBTQ individuals in the state. So that's something that I message really strongly. Um, equal opportunity for women fighting for equal pay, um, fighting for paid family leave, and then, you know, environmental protections. We are the Great Lakes state. We have 21% of the world's fresh water supply. And we have to prioritize protection of, of that water, not just because it's the right thing to do. And I think that uh, those of us who are more progressive have traditionally maybe waffled on this messaging a bit, but because economically, we are sitting on, on liquid gold. And I think that it has to be something that we prioritize moving forward um, to make our state more competitive. And again, I, I look at everything as what can we do to attract a more diverse set of younger people to want to move here and stay here and start small businesses and, and really build the future. And you mentioned that your state is highly gerrymandered. What were the results of the state legislature elections? I'm sure many of our listeners have heard about the kind of power grab that's going on in the lame duck session. Oh my goodness, there there is a lot going on. So uh, like I said, we are a very gerrymandered state. When you looked across uh, the state at, at the elections in 2018, Democrats took home more total votes. Um, but in the state legislature, once you get past uh, the executive branch, Republicans still hold the majority of seats in both the House and the Senate. So we were fighting really hard to uh, break those majorities and, and get Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate, but we came up short. So we are still going into the next uh, session as the minority party, um, even though we are significantly closer, but that definitely comes with a lot of challenges. And, and I think we have a lot to battle back from. Uh, we are now currently in lame duck. We are one of eight states that uh, continues to have session through the end of the year and, and, and past the election. So we are now seeing, you know, there have been more than 100 bills that have flown through the legislature in the past two weeks. Um, and many of those are, are pieces of legislation that are new, that had not come up before the election, that are intended to limit the power of the incoming administration. So to pull power away from the Secretary of State, for example, on campaign finance oversight and create an independent commission, uh, to create a new commission that would oversee construction of a tunnel for Line 5, which is an oil pipeline that is under the Straits of Mackinac and the Great Lakes, which is something that, that residents across the state do not want to see. Um, and to take power away from the attorney general and allow the legislature uh, to have a voice in any of the legal cases facing the state, which is just really unprecedented. And it, it's so far against what voters came out and, and voted for in November. And as people who are coming in who are newly elected, you know, it, it's just incredibly helpless watching this happen. And, and there's nothing that we can do about it except lobby uh, Governor Snyder, our current governor, 
to hopefully veto some of these these power grab bills when they come across his desk. And could you tell us a little bit about some of the ballot measures in your state and how the legislature is treating them? So we had uh, three ballot proposals make it to the ballot this year that were uh, voter-led, so they collected enough signatures to make it to the ballot. Uh, proposition one was the legalization of recreational marijuana, and the, the ballot proposal would regulate it like alcohol. As of last week, uh, recreational marijuana is legal in the state of Michigan. Uh, proposition two is the anti-gerrymandering uh, proposition that was voters, not politicians. This was an amazing piece of uh, a, a, a voter-led initiative that was run. There were more than 4,000 volunteers. This was entirely volunteer-led from around the state who collected signatures to get this onto the ballot. Um, and it was incredibly popular. I think, you know, gerrymandering is such a wonky term that maybe people didn't really know in the past. But when you start to explain that, you know, historically, it is the legislature that is allowed to draw their own district lines. Uh, you know, it, it fired up people on all ends of the spectrum. I think even when we were talking to more conservative voters who were afraid of the possibility of Democrats being able to redraw their district. So it's something that had bipartisan support. It's incredibly popular um, and made it through. And then Proposition 3 was promote the vote. This was something that the ACLU was supporting that would just expand um, voter access. So things like same day voter registration, no reason absentee voting, uh, just to make it easier to vote in in the state of Michigan and returning straight party uh, as an option to our ballot. And in regards to the recreational marijuana ballot initiative, does that also entail expunging the records of people convicted on marijuana charges? So that was not built into the language of the ballot proposition itself, but it is something that uh, Governor-elect Whitmer uh, has said that she wants to make sure uh, happens here because as it is throughout the rest of the country, uh, low-level marijuana crimes you know, disproportionately affect the African-American community. Um, and, and that's something that we definitely need to take a look at. Um, so I know that's something that's on her agenda and hopefully is something that we'll be able to move forward with. And do you see the incoming governor as a strong ally to the progressive agenda? I do. I think that, you know, there was a lot of noise about the primary here in Michigan and, and Gretchen, uh, has, you know, a long history in the legislature here in Michigan. And, you know, I know to many, she was viewed as maybe not the most progressive option, but when you really look at, at her record, I mean, she was, such a vocal voice, particularly for women's rights. Uh, I, I was somebody who admired her very early on for standing on the Senate floor and in very candid terms, sharing her story of having been raped when uh, we were fighting against uh, the rape insurance, which is required here in Michigan now. So it was a bill that re- would require women proactively purchase an extra rider of, of health insurance just in case they wanted to use it in the instance of rape. So I think that's something that, um, you know, especially to me as a woman, uh, has been super important. And, and I think she is, when you look at her voting record, when you look at where she stands on things, she is very progressive, but she's also very practical. She has worked across the aisle. She knows how to get things done. And I'm excited about having her. I think she's going to be really effective. Hey, everyone. I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates 
causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. Probably the biggest issue of this ele- of this election cycle was healthcare. How did that play out in your state? So in the state overall, healthcare was a huge issue. Now where I'm running uh, was a little bit different because I'm running, like I said, in the suburbs of Detroit. And my district uh, is one of those districts that, that kind of made news across the country where it is very wealthy, high household income, highly educated suburban district. So when I went around talking to residents in my district, I found that, you know, a lot of people here who do have uh, more means than maybe some other people. They like their health insurance. They like their doctors. Um, but what we found really resonated was uh, equal access to health care. So really, the attacks against uh, reproductive rights, the attacks against women's rights was, was something that was really strong here. So that's something that, at least for my district, was uh, incredibly strong. But I, I know that um, making sure access is available to everybody is incredibly important statewide. And in the Democratic primary, you did have one candidate who was a really big proponent of single payer, Abdul El Saeed. What exactly is the progress and what is your position on single payer? So there, uh, I think, are a lot of challenges on the state level. And I will say I, I got to know Abdul fairly well throughout uh, the election cycle as well. And he is a phenomenal public speaker. Uh, whenever I was at an event and I had to speak after him, I was always a little bummed out with the order because he's just, he's so gifted. He's so talented. Uh, he is a doctor who worked for uh, the city of Detroit for a long time and, and I know wants to see the best here. I think on the state level, um, one of the things I would like to see before we, we try to push for something that's just going to get grid- gridlocked, especially when we're still in the minority in the House and the Senate, um, is fighting for universal uh, access, no matter what that looks like. So that might mean uh, lowering costs. Right now, we have uh, the catastrophic claims insurance coverage on our auto insurance, which makes the rates incredibly high for people. So trying to bring those rates down. Um, and then I'd like to see us fight for a public option, because really right now in Michigan, we are ranked dead last in the entire country when it comes to government ethics and transparency. There is such a low level of trust um, in government as a whole right now that that I think just logistically, I would rather us work incrementally towards universal coverage than try to go right off the bat pushing for uh, something like Medicare for all, uh, where it's just going to get gridlocked and there isn't going to be a, path, a chance to pass it through. And what exactly can state government do in response to some of the actions we're seeing from the federal government, assaults on immigrants, assaults on reproductive freedom? My view on this, and a huge part of the reason why I wanted to run for a state-level office is because, especially when we are not seeing this leadership set from the top, we have to start at home. So I think you know states really can and should be leading the way on these things. I think it is incumbent on us now, given the federal climate, to set the example and and work from the ground up. So for Michigan, I want to see us leading on environmental policy. I want to see us leading on uh, immigration policy. My district, uh, you know, in comparison to much of the rest of the state, is diversifying 
more rapidly than, than many of the parts of the other state. And, and it's a lot of um, Indian American families, South Asian families uh, who are coming here for opportunity and who want to see their families succeed. And that's really exciting. And I think we need to encourage that. Um, and I think we need to protect women's rights at every level. But I think it, it really is going to, we're flipping the script effectively because we are not seeing that leadership and we have to work ground up. How do you plan on keeping the momentum going into 2020 and beyond Donald Trump? That was one of the big questions uh, coming out of the election. We had on my campaign more than 500 volunteers uh, throughout the course of the campaign who came out and helped. And, and you know, very few of those people uh, were coming out necessarily for the Democratic Party, right? We had people who came from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ages, uh, some who were concerned about gun violence in schools, some who were concerned about water and PFAS and the Flint water crisis, and who banded together around this campaign, and we were all able to work together. So even just a few days after the election, I had some of our volunteers texting me saying, okay, what's next, boss? Let's go. Um, so we're really cognitively thinking about, okay, how do we continue to work as a team? Because we did this as a team. We flipped a seat that nobody thought we could flip as a group. So how do we keep each other engaged and moving forward um, so that it's not just something that we have to ramp up during an election year? I think that's what's going to be so important is if we can build coalitions, if we can build buy-off. And I have a lot of work to do within my district because my district is a split district. So I've got to work with people who may not have voted for me, who may not agree with me on every issue, but to build that trust and to prove that we can lead differently, that it's not about fear, that it's not about hate, that we can do it collectively, we can have respectful debates and dialogue, and we can move forward together. How can our listeners get in touch with you? How can your constituents get in touch? Where can they find you online? So we are still in transition. So my official uh, legislative contact information is not available yet, but we are on Facebook at McMorrow for Michigan, and it's spelled M-C-M-O-R-R-O-W. I'm on Twitter at Mallory McMorrow, Instagram at Mallory McMorrow. Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find. I'm everywhere. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and telling us about Michigan politics. And we hope to get you on in the future to hear about all the progress you've made. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And lastly, to our listeners, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and tune in to the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8pm Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.